Welcome to Get Better at Garbage with your host, Colin Bell, COO of Recycle Smart, Canada's fastest growing recycling technology company. We talk tech, innovation, and inside secrets with top industry experts every week. You'll find exclusive content, interviews, and commentary from the leaders in the North American recycling industry. Welcome to this episode of Get Better at Garbage. Today, we're going underground again, not deep underground, but semi-underground again with uh, Dave Holman, president of Earthbin. So a few weeks ago, we talked to the Molochians, uh, another underground uh, waste and recycling container system. But you may not know this. There are quite a few companies producing semi-underground or underground. We're going to talk more about the difference between those today. And we want to give you some options. So like anything else, it's good to know what you're buying and if there's other options out there. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks, Colin. Uh, thanks so much for having us on the show today. Really appreciate it. So let's get started with just a little bit of uh, yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And before Earthbin, unless your dream from day one when you were eight years old was to produce garbage bins, what were you <laughs> Yeah, so, all right. I, I grew up in a little town called Plattsville, uh, which is a small little um, agricultural town just outside of Kitchener-Waterloo. And uh, the only claim to fame in that town is that there's a sandpaper fa- factory that anchors this, the town. And uh, it's still there to this day. Yeah, making sandpaper. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Um, after, um, you know, after public school in Plattsville, I, I attended high school in nearby uh, New Hamburg. And uh, I, I, I was kind of a science, uh, math kind of a geek, and I, you know, I leaned towards the engineering uh, world. So after high school, um, I found myself at University of Guelph in the engineering department. And um, I took um, agricultural engineering at the time, and um, I did a co-op program. So the co-op program was great because it exposed me to all sorts of different kinds of industries, which was a lot of fun, um, just kind of figure out your, your fit. In, uh, in the world. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, I'm assuming you did something before Earthbin or was it straight from there? To yeah. Earthbin? Yeah. So, so what happened after that is I, I, I took a job at um, John Deere and it was the forestry division and uh, a company in Woodstock. And I worked as a design engineer initially. And then I worked in the manufacturing uh, world, uh, product support, um, I did a little bit of, uh, you know, purchasing, all different sort of business functional areas of the company. And it was a great experience working for John Deere. I mean, I learned a lot about, oh, a lot about design and testing and uh, process, all these kind of things that can help you out um, in your future career. So really, uh, really a great spot to, to be for about 12 cool. years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that a lot of people don't know that John Deere is actually huge in the forestry equipment area or very well yeah. known in terms of very high quality equipment because when we when i think john deere i think expensive ride-ons and uh yeah. and obviously combines because uh my yeah. wife is saskatchewan so you know the john deere combine has a, a cult following it does absolutely then, yeah, yeah for, forestry equipment is also an area which uh we work with a couple of companies in sweden and finland and, and uh, john deere is a big player obviously in the forestry industry equipment so um yeah interesting that those companies are in all those verticals so how did earthbin start you're obviously working at john deere yeah and one day you realized that you could put this dumpster underground and off you went exactly yeah so i'll, I'll just back up for a second i i was thinking about this and I, I i think the seeds were planted for me 
uh, back in 1975. And uh, my parents built a house, uh, brand new back then. And, uh, you know, my dad just uh, put the garbage bags in the garage, just like everybody else did. And you know what? Uh, when, uh, summer came along, it was a hot summer. It got really smelly and all sorts of pests that he was dealing with. And he was very frustrated. And I don't know exactly whether he got the idea himself or the concept out of a popular mechanics or something like that. But anyways, he, he dug a trench behind the house and um, formed a foundation down there. And he put a wooden uh, cover over top with a hinge on it. And, and then he just uh, put the garbage outside. And you know what? It worked. It was amazing. And, and maybe subconsciously, I kind of, you know, held on to that sort of idea that my dad came up with back in the 70s. So it was pretty cool. Um, back to where, so, so back to John Deere day. So I, I stayed at John Deere until about 2006, and they closed down the plant, and they decided to move it to Iowa. Our family didn't really want to go to Iowa, so um, I had a colleague in the waste management industry. Um, a challenge out there was to create a uh, coffee ground straining bucket for Tim Hortons, uh, basically to dewater the coffee grounds to make them lighter to hand uh, to, for recycling purposes. So I developed that bucket um, for Tim Hortons. And then also after that, I ended up developing a, a self-contained compactor that was a very kind of a unique product on the market. Um, it was serviced by a front load truck. Um, it had onboard uh, computer control and hydraulic pumps. And, you know, we achieved a uh, six to one compaction ratio. So it was, it was really uh, efficient that way. And, um, and then following that, um, I, I got out of that business and uh, I, I ended up meeting a fellow named Greg Kerrigan, who was in the waste management uh, uh, business, uh, similar to what you're doing, uh, Colin, and um, managing some stores uh, for, at the time, Kara Foods. And we had one of these compactors in there and he wanted to find out more about this thing. And we ended up connecting and, and uh, you know, he knew a lot about the waste business and said, you know, there's this, there's this new kind of product that's on the market. It's from Europe. And it, it, you actually put the waste in the ground. And I said, why in the world would you do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. You know, like digging a hole and putting the weight, burying it in the ground. Anyways, you, you so, start to have flashbacks to your youth all of a sudden. Yeah, You're like, yeah, wait a minute. My yeah, dad I, used to do this. Yeah, that's right. It was coming together. So, so Greg said, hey, listen, though, why, don't we, uh, why don't we develop something like that? And um, very similar to the one that was from Europe, except that the idea there that Greg put forward was since he was working with front load trucks and since he was working across Canada nationally, let, let's use a front load truck infrastructure for this container. And I thought that, that makes a lot of sense. And so we ended up designing the, the bin uh, back in 2012 now, so almost eight years. And uh, we built our first prototype in 2013. And then we, um, we started production in, in the summer of 2013. So we're coming up to, to seven years now. And we deployed about 100 units um, across Canada back, back in 2013 uh, in all sorts of places like Winnipeg, uh, Medicine Hat, Montreal, Ottawa. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was a really great uh, field testing opportunity. And right. uh, at John Deere, I learned that that's the best way to test a product is in the field. Um, right. Can't, so you're, you're can't a couple of... Yeah, you're able to get out with Kara Foods and put bins in the ground and actually see how they performed and what kind exactly. of issues you ran into. Yeah, you're right. When, yeah. Instead of, you know, doing all the engineering and then producing a thousand and realizing that oh, we have a 
you have something here that we want to fix. So <laughs> that's right. Which is obviously right. much more expensive at that point than if you're in the test phase. So who's Absolutely. Earthbin today in terms of what, what kind of metrics do you measure Earthbin? Is it number of bins or employees or whatever metrics uh, you're comfortable yeah, sharing sure. in terms of the size of Earthbin? Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about the company right now. So I ended up partnering with a, a couple of uh, gentlemen, uh, Chris and Joe from, from Hamilton. Um, and they operate a transport company and logistics, and they've got warehousing space as well. So it was a great fit for, for Earthbin. Um, so Earthbin now is a national company. Uh, with bins from St. John's all the way to a little bit west of Victoria, BC. We're really proud to say, Colin, that we're 100% Canadian-owned and operated. And we're 100% designed in Canada. I mean, the Earth bin was designed by myself and a couple other engineers. And, uh, you know, we, um, we're just proud of that fact. And actually, it's interesting, too. Over 98% of our supply base is, is Canadian companies. So Canadian oh, source products. So yeah, I mean, these days it's it's great. We're local, basically. So I think in the last couple of months, that's probably become a real strength with COVID. You're not waiting for parts to come in from no. overseas or a supply chain that's spread no. out all over the world. Yeah, interesting. No. So no, it's it that's been a great uh, benefit for us, you know. And and we manufacture, you know, Manitoba, Quebec, and Ontario. We have a supply base there. Uh, so we've got about 15 employees right now. Um, we started in a 5,000 square foot facility three years ago. Now we're up to a 20,000-square-foot facility in Hamilton. Um, Hamilton's a great place to be because it's very centralized for shipping. Uh, you've got, you know, you've got uh, rail, transport trucks, and you've got uh, boats as well. So you can ship anywhere in Canada. It's a hub, really. So it's, it's great for us. And quite a bit of manufacturing expertise in that area. Absolutely. Know. Our, Maybe our I'll... factory tech... Yeah, factory techs are have experience at Defasco, Stelco, all those kind of ancillary industries. So it's uh, it's been great for us. Yeah. So let's go back a bit to your story about your dad burying the waste in the backyard in the bunker. Why put waste and recyclables underground? Like, what are the advantages and benefits? We heard a bit about from the Molochians about you know lower temperature things like that. But mm-hmm. what are the key benefits if you're out selling to someone and saying, you know what, you should take that six yard dumpster, turn it into an earth bin. And this is why. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, two or three things come to mind right away. So the biggest one, I think, it depends on the customer and the client and what problems you're trying to solve. But the biggest one I'd say would be aesthetics. Uh, so again, you've got a plastic container, no fencing or screening around it, maybe some, some nice vegetative screening in the form of shrubs. That's about it. The container's low profile. It's only about 40 inch, 48 inches high. It's interesting because integrating the the container into the site i mean you, you can put these containers in places that you wouldn't normally put them for example uh, mcdonald's installed a, a container uh, in milton that is on an island um, approaching the drive-through and it was it was really fascinating because we were doing a, a lunch and learn presentation to a um, an architectural firm in, in uh, mississauga and telling them about this really cool site and here's a picture of the site and you'll notice the bin is sitting right there in the drive-through and you know it controls odor it's aesthetically pleasing and the one fellow just said wait a minute i designed that site i got a coffee there this morning and i didn't even notice it <laughs> so, so that's almost but, the biggest the biggest compliment is when they don't even know it's there they don't even know it and we're talking about a designer here so it was it was really cool so so you know in-ground containers are like that i mean um the you know they're low profile they blend into the surroundings so that's a big one uh, the other thing I would say is the pest odor control aspect. I mean, 
you know, in our world today, trash is blowing around all over the place. Um, it's getting in places that we don't want it to be. And that can be managed and contained by an in-ground container because the lid is always closed. It doesn't blow open like dumpsters. And uh, that's our main competitor out there really is the dumpster and the fence. And the traditional way that we've been doing waste for 50 years now. Um, so, you know, that's a really big one. By, by keeping the odor inside, um, then you're also going to reduce the pest problem because you don't have the animal attracted. Right. So you're going to get rid of that one lid left open, crows dropping garbage all over the yeah. parking lot that we see or overflowing bin. And then the birds have decided to distribute it all over the place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Animals pawing through and everything. And then lastly, I'd say a really key um, part of this bin is the security aspect. So our container has automatic gravity locks on each side of the main lid. So when the truck services the bin and places it down, the lid is locked. And then the, um, the tenant or the property manager can lock the smaller user doors. Um, and so therefore you prevent people from trying to take garbage out or things out of the container and you help prevent illegal dumping, which is also a problem that uh, property managers who wants to pay for that, you know, uh, somebody else's garbage. So you help re reduce that issue as well. So those are, those are some of the things that I see as advantages of, of the ingress. And what percentage would be new build? So like you mentioned, architects specking uh, this type of container into a new development versus retrofit. What's, is it kind of 50, 50, 20, 80? What's the mix between retrofits and new installs? I would say right now, uh, Colin, that it's a lot heavier on the new builds uh, than the retrofits. But we are getting, uh, we are getting traction with some large national companies, uh, especially in the multi-res space, where they're looking at the situation that they have with 20, 30, 40-year-old buildings, and it's a mess. How do we clean this up? Well, here's a solution. And so let's do that. So we're, so we're getting a little bit more traction with, with that. Uh, but generally, yes, it's new construction. I mean, it, it is easier to, to capitalize the bin with the uh, building when you build it and to design it into the property, definitely. Right. So new build or significant kind of CapEx reno where they might decide, you know, yes. going to put a significant amount of money into an old building and, and bring it up to standard. And part of that would be maybe getting rid of that garbage enclosure that looks terrible. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And is it true that uh, in-ground bins often remove the requirement for an enclosure? So if, if I'm a building owner, a manager, most municipalities, not all, I guess, but quite a few require some kind of enclosure. And from our experience, it's often nightmares. You know, doors are left open, doors fall off, garbage companies break the enclosures. All kinds of things happen inside the enclosures that we won't talk about, but basically they're a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so the in-ground bin so often true. gets rid of that enclosure altogether in most municipalities, I think. Yeah, that, that's true. That, that's what we found. We, we've got a uh, manager of municipal affairs on staff, and so we, we help uh, clients dealing with uh, municipal issues. And I would say that our experience in Canada is, is probably the toughest area to deal with is the GTA. Um, and, and I think, I think there's just this, you know, unwillingness to embrace some new ideas in various places for whatever reason, you know, it's different. How do we deal with it? Well, maybe it's a larger urban center. There's, there's some bureaucracy there to deal with. There's a lot of people, um, a lot of departments to deal with. So it's just easier to do the same old thing. One of the other advantages of the in-ground container though, if you get rid of the fencing, um, there's something out there called crime prevention through environmental design. And, uh, 
you, you know, it's all about making the site, the campus setting, if you will, nice and clean and tidy and low profile so that people can't hide behind things. And so if you get rid of the fencing, you know, you can't, you can't hide. Somebody can't hide behind the fence between the bins. And also people can't hide their car tires and batteries and different things like that there as well. So the cleanup costs associated with, um, with that scenario is less and it's plus it's safer as well for the community. I think we've definitely seen that as junk attracts junk and it goes back to the old New York subway uh, philosophy where if you keep the subway clean and there's no graffiti, then you're less likely to have crime because it, it looks like someone cares. And I think we've seen yep. that where someone leaves a couch and then the next day all of a sudden the couch is joined by, you know, a bunch of other stuff because people are like, Oh, <laughs> nobody cares. So I'm going to drop off my stuff. But if it's completely empty, I think humans have a hard time just saying, I'm going to drop my couch off in the middle of this yeah. pristine site. So, well, most yeah. humans anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So um, how do you get people excited about this? It's waste and recycling containers. It's not the most sexy industry to be selling into. You're not rolling in with the latest technology in terms of, you know, some kind of crazy new lighting system or things like that. So how do you get people excited about in-ground bins? Yeah, th- th- this is a, this is a good question, and and you're absolutely right, Colin. It's a very unglamorous business that we're in. Um, I think you get you, you know we work with the, the design community um, and and the clients, and and we talk a lot about beautifying um, and improving their their um, the design of their buildings, and and architects seem to really like that. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So the the focus of the site is the building is the design of the building. And if you can integrate the waste into the landscaping, it kind of, and make it disappear, um, it's very advantageous from just the aesthetics of the overall site. Um, The other thing that's very valuable here is land right now. I mean, Vancouver prices are crazy where you are and they're crazy in Toronto and they're not going to get any lower. And so you know, site planners are trying to make that site plan as efficient as possible. And, and then the client, uh, the owner, is trying to maximize the rent, the rentable space, because they have to pay so much money to build a building. So why would you have garbage rooms? You know, let, let's take the garbage out of those rooms, put it into the landscaping, use that room for another unit, uh, locker storage, somewhere where you can rent and, and make some, some, uh, some more money. And so that's, that's kind of a selling point uh, for the, uh, the bins. Another selling point to municipalities is the fact that um, servicing an earth bin versus toter, totes or carts, call either way, 360-liter totes, is two to three times lower cost per ton. So, I mean, it takes less time. Um, the earth bin is picked up in about 45 seconds. Um, and, you know, with, with the totes, it, it takes longer to do that. So, and the totes take up three times more space as well. So there's another selling point to, um, to people is that, you know, let's, let's just get rid of those totes. Let's clean up the look of the, the site and, and, and reduce costs, operating costs while we're at it. Yeah, the toad farm, as we call it, where you, you drive behind a, a building and you see those 20 or 30 totes and some of them are tipped over and they're all over the yes. place. And yeah, it's just, it doesn't look, even if the users are quite careful, it just doesn't look good because they're often all willy-nilly everywhere. And it looks kind of like yeah. a, a, a tote party happening behind the, the building. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the biggest advantage I've always seen with Earthbin is the, the ability to pick it up with the North American standard, which is the front-end load garbage truck, which is ubiquitous in North America, um, compared to a lot of the crane lift bins, which 
I think work well as long as you have a crane lift supplier in your local market area that is able to pick them up. Um, so maybe talk a bit about that major advantage I feel that Earthbin has, which is the fact that this can be picked up by any garbage truck that's on the road in Canada today, in terms of a commercial garbage truck. Sure. Yeah, and that, and that's really important, you know. And and so, you know, we 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 offer uh, design services as well as a company. Um, we we are, we're really focused in that we only build the earth. We don't build any other products. Uh, we offer consultation services with our clients and with design firms as far as how to place the containers, um, engineered stamping drawings, those kinds of things. But the biggest thing is the fact that it is compatible with any truck. And those trucks are all the same, whether you're in, let's say, Texas or whether you're in New Brunswick or whether you're in the Northwest Territories. It's it's the same truck. It, the fork width is exactly the same. And so, you know, we thought as we looked at this container, it, you know, the in-ground design is fantastic. It has all these advantages over the dumpster and the fencing. But it would be really great if it was compatible with all those fleets and fleets of trucks that are out there across North America. So that's how we designed it, you know, to be compatible. And the great thing is from the customer standpoint is, I mean, they can get service anytime, anywhere. They can switch haulers if, if they need to for whatever reason, control costs, for example. I mean, we've got earthbins in Gander, Newfoundland. And, you know, again, like you say, there may not be crane trucks there, but there's definitely a front end truck there. So, so it, you know, that's, that's, that's really quite huge. And the other part of it is that with a front load truck, it's already very efficient at collecting the steel containers. And what you're doing is you're just introducing the earth bin into that collection route. So you're still going to collect, you know, 80 to hundred containers a day kind of thing. Um, and you can switch from earth bin and then you can pick up a steel bin next. So it's, it's fantastic that way as well, very efficient. And the other thing, lastly, that I'll say is when you have municipal contracts, um, for example, we just um, we were selected as the highest scoring proponent at Western University to supply in-ground containers for the next three years. And one of the, one of the important requirements was that the containers had to be serviced by their hauler under contract or the City of London. And so our, our bin met that requirement. And, and so it, it, gives, it gives the client a lot of flexibility. The only drawback we have is the fact that if the front load truck does not have access to the site, then the alternative is you use the crane style system and you still get the benefits of the in-ground. So, you know, you, you, you can use either one and it depends on the site plan layout um, uh, really is what, is what it ends up being. Right. And so for our listeners, just to give you a bit of a picture, if you have a, a bin that's located, say, 10 feet from a parking lot, uh, with the crane system, the crane can extend out and pick that bin up, whereas the front end bins need to be close enough that the forks of the truck can actually drive up and service it. So some lands, some some site planning goes in there in terms of making sure that the front end truck can actually reach the bin. If not, you're going to end up with a, a crane system, which I think the important thing that we want to mention is the crane systems work great. The only restraint you sometimes run into is there might only be one service provider in your area that provides crane service, and therefore you're mm -hmm. kind of at the mercy of their pricing and their service and everything else. Whereas front load, mm -hmm. any hauler can run it. And actually, you just pointed out an interesting thing is that, yeah, for, for waste haulers, they can they don't have to run a special earth bin route. Um, they can pick up an earth bin anywhere in their regular route. There's no It really doesn't affect their routing whatsoever for, from their perspective. No, it doesn't, and therefore that uh, results in the, the pricing being uh, pretty much the same as a regular steel bin. 
you know. So yeah, which is great. which is which is great. You get the advantages of all, like you said, all the advantages of of underground without having some of those restrictions. What's yeah. the what's technology doing to the waste and recycling industry? I mean, it's kind of an old school industry. We drive around in trucks, we pick up garbage in bins. Uh, things like Earthbin are changing that a little bit. But is uh, is technology changing anything else in the, the world of Earthbin? Yeah, you know. Um, you know, it's interesting some of the things that are that are coming about, and I think um, I think there's a lot of development in the whole Internet of Things, um, the, the the whole wireless cellular communication, the smart bin, if you will. So the idea that you can measure uh, you can measure things that are happening in real time or periodically. So one of the things that we're doing is we've got a um, pilot project going on with the city of Newmarket. And um, it's pretty cool. So we're we're introducing some new technology onto into those bins. And one of the pieces of technology um, already mentioned on your show is the the level sender. And and that's a great piece of technology. We don't manufacture the send, the level sender, but there's there's different companies and platforms that are out there. But you basically affix it to the underside of the the lid, which is by the way is always closed on an earth bin. So you get a nice straight measurement all the way down the center of the bin. And what it does is it alerts the management company, waste management company, whoever that is, um, tells them, hey, listen, uh, this bin is getting full. You've got about two days left. You've got one day left or oh, we're over full by a day kind of thing. So now you can efficiently, you know, manage that site because you don't have to have trucks. Like, what, for example, this particular site, when COVID hit, um, these bins are being loaded by um, a BIA, which is comprised of restaurants. And of course, the restaurant business went down. So, you know, suddenly it was like, well, the truck doesn't need to go there every Wednesday like it used to do. We're going to monitor this. And that's what they did. They monitored it and said, no, we, we don't need it until we need it. So that's a great piece of technology. The other one we're working along as well is the electronic access. I mean, we're finding, uh, we're asking our multi-res customers about that. And there's a lot of value in multi-res. There's value in cities and municipal where you use a, a key card or your phone or something like that. And you can track the waste. So, you, you know, somebody puts a bag in, you can track, okay, this person put a bag in. Then you can bill accordingly to the restaurant. Mm. So some restaurants would generate more waste than others, of course, and now they're billed accordingly, which is, which is fair and reasonable. Um, and so it, it's, I see those two pieces of technology is, is coming on board as, as being really important. Yeah, the access control is interesting because you're almost moving towards a pay-as-you-throw instead of just the, you know, well, we're just going to estimate say that you generate a quarter of the waste, whereas in reality, you know, it may, may, may be way less. And it may be, like you said, because of COVID or something happens to your business and you're generating a lot less waste. But a lot of those customers are still paying the same fee that they were paying, you know, pre-COVID just because it's based on some estimate that the property manager came up with. Yeah, um, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. What, what's the strangest or most unique challenge you've solved for a customer? So the way I like to frame this is if you if you uh, retired tomorrow and, you know, you got up to do your, your great speech at, and you know, you kind of have to reflect on your career and say that was that was the best job or the most interesting bin placement. What would you say would be the highlight? <laughs> That's a good question. I wish I could say that we had some sort of, uh, you know, an automatic feeding system with some pneumatic cylinders that sorted the waste and did whatever, but, and maybe some <laughs> lasers thrown in there too. I don't know. This, this is oh, really no. futuristic. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, I know. Maybe that's how engineers think. Uh, so, I mean, this one's pretty straightforward. But it's kind of, it's cool because it was a problem a customer had. So 
Um, really, it was a factory situation. And factories, as you know, have docks. And the docks are used to, you know, the, the trucks back up to the dock. It's dock height, so it's about 1.2 meters. And uh, the trucks are loaded by forklifts in and out. And so adjacent this dock system was the uh, cafeteria and the general waste of the office of the factory. And the idea there was, well, wait a minute, do we have to put some steps in to go down the dock, alongside the dock, out to the asphalt and put a bin there, an earth bin? Well, that's costly and, and you know, that's irritating as well in the winter. And so we, so we did some studying and investigation and we found out that, uh, you know what, that front load truck will actually lift the bin out of a dock height location. So here we oh, are, we put the bin in 1.2 meters above the, the asphalt that the truck is sitting on. The nice thing with the earth bin is that we've got two feed doors, front and rear. Um, so now they can they can load just from the rear feed door, but the truck comes in from the front, picks it up, dumps it in about 45 seconds, sets it back down and backs away, and it, you know uh, the the process continues. So it's kind of a neat uh, a neat application. And and since then, when we talk to architects that say, "Hey, listen, can we put an earth bin above underground parking?" We can say, yeah, we can. We can do that. We can just raise raise up the bin a little bit if we have to, and and use some earth and and create a platform, and and people can load it from the the rear side of the container, and the truck will service it. So, so it's kind of a kind of a neat thing that uh, we discovered through yeah through a need. And that's definitely way easier for the users. Like you said, dumpsters are often located you know down across the parking lot, and they're having to lug stuff a long way, which isn't pleasant especially yeah. in the winter or if they're trying to recycle we find often people if they have to drag it very far they just end up throwing it in the dumpster at the end yeah. of the night if that's the closest yeah. thing to the back door yes yes yeah. we've seen that too yes absolutely the easy Human, humans are lazy yeah yeah that's right all right our last question is we always ask the uh, the egg question so i have this theory that the eggs are a window into your soul um and how people eat their eggs says a lot about them. So, uh, Dave, how do you eat your eggs? Your, your preferred way of eat, eating eggs? <laughs> All right, uh, good question, uh, Colin. And I'm not, I'm not sure. You know what? I'm just going to tell you how I like them. I like them scrambled. And maybe That's you can tell me what totally that means about me. <laughs> I, I think that uh, means you're easy, easygoing, and uh, don't like to, you know, focus a lot in the morning. Because I like mine scrambled as well. Um, my wife likes them soft poached, and I find that it's the most stressful way to start your day because soft poach is like, <laughs> you know, there's only about a 30 second zone between it going too hard. And then, you know, I get that kind of dirty look when I serve these two hot right. pucks. So yeah, scrambled easy. You throw them in the pan. I mean, if you can screw up scrambled eggs, you probably should not be allowed in the kitchen. I think <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yeah. Great. Well, scrambled eggs Good. for the win. Uh, thanks very much, Dave. It was great to have you on the show and anyone out there, interested in underground disposal options, uh, check out Earthbin. We will post a link to the website on the podcast episode page. And I think now we've done underground bins, so we'll have to go above ground for the next episode, find someone that does something not underground. Tune in next week, and we'll have an interesting guest. Again, it's a surprise because I haven't booked them yet, so I can't tell you, but it will be fun. Thanks very much. Until next time. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Remember, you can recycle past episodes at www.recycle-smart.com slash podcast and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for joining us. And remember to get better at garbage, rock the recycling, and save some serious dough.